So how many of us have done something like that, huh? You, you, I, I, I'm always putting something together for the kids, I don't know, play set or something, and there's always the one or two pieces that are left, you know, and they look like important pieces like a screw or, you know, a long piece of wood, something like that, that's, that's me. Um, so we are starting this new series, it's called Next Time. Next time will be better. And uh, let me give a disclaimer. Um, this is a series that I actually heard as I was going um, to uh, uh, I was going to Texas. It was a few months back, and I, man, I just I was praying through it, and I just thought, man, this is this is a really good series, and I think our church should hear this. So, so most of this stuff is not something that I, I came up with. I'm not the genius behind this. I just know that there's some great stuff uh, in Scripture and in this is by a guy named Andy Stanley. I listen to a lot of different messages, and most of them are kind of boring, <laughs> you know, or dull, or, or something, or there's not much meat to it, and, um, and so everybody's got some good stuff and, and stuff, that's, uh, but this was, this was really something that I thought, man, our, our church should hear this, and so I changed it up, I, I messed, uh, messed with it a whole lot, added a bunch of stuff to fit us and not a big, huge megachurch. Um, but I'm just going to go ahead and give all of the credit to him just so I don't have to go, this one's mine. That point was mine. That one was his. That, okay, so anyway. So we're going to start this series, and the series is Next Time Will Be Better. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we have to start over sometimes. And sometimes it's many times. And the question is, how do we ensure that next time will be better than the last time, Right? Um, so, for instance, we learn from uh, the mistakes in areas of life that matter the least. We learn in those areas real quick, right? Board games, right? You learn Candyland, how to play that, how not to mess up real quick, right? Um, sports, hobbies, texting, right? Oh, I sent that out to everybody. <laughs> Won't do that again, right? Um, for example, um, Zach, can I, can I borrow you for a second? Stand up. You ever play slaps? Yeah, the hand game. All right. Real easy. I'm going to do the same thing over and over again. Ah, ready? There you go. See how quick he learns? Look at that. Look at that. It just. <laughs> You're incredible. <laughs> yeah. so, so we learn real quick in the little things that matter. Now, the areas that matter most, we tend to repeat our mistakes. Why is that? You know, finances, school, work, uh, relationships. I mean, there's all kinds of areas in our life where we just tend to repeat these mistakes. And then when we repeat them, we go, when will I ever learn? Right? That's the question. When will I learn? Um, and this is big because there is one common denominator in all of the mistakes that, that you make and that I make. You know what that is? It's you. <laughs> it's, it's me, right? <laughs> you follow yourself around. And here's the thing. Life has enough problems, and it has enough unavoidable pain. So why would we want to add more pain to us? So in this, we're going to do a four-part series, and we're going to talk about how to start over and make next time better than the last time. Now, I want you to know you're not alone. Everybody in here is kind of shaking their head, right? Everybody's like, oh, I've been there, know that, right? Everybody, everybody in here 
has done something. And, and you may be thinking, well, he's talking to me. I am. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me, right? Because I've done this as well. So there's not a person in this room who hasn't gone um, and to, say, Cold Stone Creamery, right? We're not going to any of these frou-frou yogurt places with a fat-free. We're going for the good stuff, okay? We're going to eat the stuff that it's going to put something on our hips, all right? And so there's not a person that's gone to Cold Stone that said, you know what, I'm just going to have the, the small version. I'm just going to have the small version. And it was so good, right? And then the next day, you go back. And you get the medium. No, no, just give me the large. I'm going all in, Right? And, and, and this, is, this is like small compared. You, you've been to those yogurt places where, where they're like these gigantic tubs. They're like charged by the ounce, right? But it's fat-free, so it's okay. Um, hope that stays. There we go. Uh, so, so there's not a person who hasn't gone back for that rocky road or that caramel dulce de leche. Look at that. Oh, that is... I'm getting hungry. I had Pop-Tarts for breakfast. So... And that's the problem, isn't it? The second time around, the second time you make the mistake, the mistake isn't as bad. It's worse because you knew better. And that's, you know, that's, ah, I knew better. And everyone has something that they fight against, something repetitive that keeps coming up in their lives. And the thing is, if you allow it to, it will, help, it will put you in a downward spiral. And it's hard to get momentum to move back the other way. There's an example in Scripture. His name's Abraham. When we're, we're going to look at him, uh, one point is when he's called Abram, and one point is when he's called Abraham. And you're going to look at this example, and you're going to feel good about yourself. I promise. Because you're going to look at his struggle, and you're going to say, my struggle's not near that dumb. My struggle's not near that bad. Okay, so Genesis 12, we're going to look at a couple of different uh, passages today. Genesis 12, and uh, if you want to read the whole thing, the whole, the whole story is in uh, verses 10 through 20. Uh, we're just going to read a few verses to kind of understand the problem here. And in verse 11, uh, he's about to go into Egypt. There was a big famine, and Egypt had the food. And it says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he was with his wife, Sarai. Now remember... He's called Abram at this point. Abram. He's just been called by God. God has not changed his name yet. His wife is Sarai. It says, he says, To Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. Okay, so... You look at this verse and you go, uh, okay, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like Abram's really trusting God here, okay? Verse 14 through 16. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she, she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys, manservants and maidservants, and camels. Now, Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's palace. The only reason for this 
was to be in a harem to wait to be summoned to please this guy. That's the only reason. Meanwhile, Abram's raking in the money, getting cattle, he's getting sheep, he's getting maids and, and all, this, all these people to help him, right? If I may say so, I believe that this is the perfect picture of a deadbeat husband. Seriously, I mean, what has he done? Right? Is this the man that, that every lady dreams about? Right? Someone who's going to give you up when they get scared? Right? Nobody, no, nobody wants this husband. So in, ver- in the rest of the verses, um, you, can, you can read it, verses 17 through 20. God brings about a disease because of all of this, and Pharaoh finds out, and then he kicks Abram and Sarai out of Egypt with all their new wealth. And you know Sarai had to feel like this big. I mean, it was a different culture back then. Women were were more property, and it wasn't right, but it was kind of the culture. And, I mean, still, he gave her up. Hey, listen, i got to protect myself. Now, jump over to chapter 20. Chapter 20. Uh, God has given Abram and Sarai new names, Abraham and Sarah. And so God is showing and telling them by doing this that he is with them. He is definitely with them. And Abraham, with his new name, fails the trust test again. And they go into a new area with a new king, Abimelech, and Abraham uses the same tactics, right? So, now notice something here as we start, verse 2, chapter 20, verse 2. Abraham doesn't say anything to his wife this time, really. He just talks to, uh, to uh, Abimelech. It says in verse 2, and there, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Now, this is true. She was a half-sister, okay? So back then, it was a different time. The bloodlines weren't uh, as messed up if something like that happened now. And so it was okay. She's a half-sister. And uh, so it's, it's a partial truth. It says, then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. So you look at this verse and you're just like, Abraham. You know, you just want to slap him around a little bit. Oh, come on, man. And uh, (laughs) verse 3, it says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. So we begin to see God act again. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So, we've got some serious issues here, right? God once again comes to Abraham's rescue. Now listen, if God will stick with a deadbeat husband, then he's going to stick with you as well. How does your problem look now, right? It's, it's not too bad, is it? But you have to follow him, and you have to do your part, and you have to make the right decisions. Now, I want to talk about three things, three myths 
that we need to challenge and we need to change in our thinking, okay? They're going to seem simple, but we all tend to make these uh, assumptions and subconsciously believe them, okay? And we're going to see Abraham did not address these things in his issue. So verse one, the, first one, the first one is the experience myth. Experience makes me wiser. Experience makes me wiser. In light of what I've gone through, I'm more wise because of it. This is not true. It does not make you wiser. It makes you older, more tired, poorer, madder, lonelier, but it does not make you wiser. And experience one time doesn't make you any more prepared for the next time. Evaluated experience makes you wiser. There's a reason that the guys in the NFL and the NBA and the major leagues, uh, major league baseball, there's a reason that they review their performance, that they look at themselves on tape, and then they look at their opponents on tape as well, and then they go out and they implement what they want to do, how they want to tackle that opponent, how they want to change something that's gone wrong in themselves. There's a reason that they do that, and that is to see that change occur. And it doesn't seem like Abraham has stopped to evaluate what all took place the first time. Now, you know this is true because of the friends that you have, right? You've got friends who make the same mistakes over and over and over again, right? But here's the thing. When it comes to ourselves, it's hard to see those things until we've already done it, right? It's like, ah. So evaluated experience will set you up for success the next time. And it's not just evaluated experience, but it's evaluating through the eyes of God, going to God and saying, God, I need your help here. Show me what I've done wrong. Show me how to do better next time. Show me how to live for you. When you look at your life, or, or better yet, get an honest, godly person to come and look at your life and just sit down with them over coffee and say, this is what's been going on. This is my situation. And when they are truthful with you or you are truthful with yourself, with everything that's happened, and then you allow yourself to experience the pain and the shame and the regret, you're not going to do it again. But if you just push it off and don't experience those things, you will. Because nobody likes those feelings. But God gave us those feelings for a reason, didn't he? So that we wouldn't do it again. Now, the second myth is called the no better myth. Since I know better, I'll do better, right? But we don't see this come true with Abraham either. You think that just because you know the difference between right and wrong, you will do, the diff do what is right. But knowing doesn't mean you'll do better. Knowing better doesn't equal the strength that you need or the ability or the power or the self-control to do better the next time. Unless you make changes to your life, you will continue the cycle even though you know better. Now here's the question you need to ask. If I know better, what must I do before the next situation arises so I can actually do better? Abraham did not ask himself this question either. And the third one is the time myth. The time myth. Time is against me. 
time is against me. The clock is ticking. I'm not getting any younger. All the other people my age, right? I need to move fast and get back in it. And all of these things, this is the most destructive myth that is out there because it is absolutely false. There is a reason that second marriages have a 90% divorce rate. There is a reason that getting remarried too fast is usually the worst thing for a a divorced or a widowed person because they have not had time to evaluate what happened and they feel the clock ticking. But the problem is still the same. It's still you, right? It's still me. And time is your friend no matter what the situation. Every transition, with every transition, this is true. Coming off of the first time, you are out of balance. Your emotions are just wacky and they're heightened and thinking isn't clear. Emotions are are like temperature, right? It pops up real quick but it takes time to come down. And it's the same with these things. Those things don't come down near as fast as they go up. So jumping back into whatever's next before the temperature has come down and before you kind of have this stable equilibrium, you can't make wise choices. You can't be smart about what you're doing. But when you are healthy and you have clarity and you... You, you can see things right, and you make better decisions. But until you have that clarity, you have no business, no business making decisions because that takes time, not these major decisions. Time is your friend, but it feels like your enemy. Your circumstances, when you're in these situations, they aren't unique. They feel like they are because you're in the middle of it. But they're not unique. If you want next time to be better than the last time, you need to wait. You need to wait. Abraham didn't wait, and he didn't evaluate. Aha, nice little rhyme, huh? He jumped right back into the same situation. He jumped right back in it. Now, there are so many people in the Bible that God used in an incredible way that had this first-time failure and a huge second-time success. But there was a huge span of time in between. Moses kills a guy, disappears for 40 years, then comes back and is the hero. David is kicked out of King Saul's palace, and he's on the run for 8, 12 years, but later returns to be king. Abraham, in separate situations, He decides to take matters into his own hand to have an heir. But then seven to ten years later, God fulfills his promise to him anyway and passes the line down through his true son. Paul, he's the best Pharisee in the land, and he's killing Christians left and right. And then God rattles his cage, and he disappears for years and years and years, and then emerges the second time around to serve God in the right way. In every instance, there is an interval of years before the second time around. Years. Not only was there a gap of time, but there are two things that occurred that I think we all need, every single person needs. And that is a divine sense of destiny 
and an abiding humility. A divine sense of destiny because they knew God was up to something and they got to be a part of it. And an abiding humility because no matter what God was doing, I'm going to get, I'm going to get, not going to get proud and arrogant about it. Now, there's one question that in any moment and in any decision you can ask God, no matter where you're at. And this question embodies like the totality of the things that, that we just talked about. Um, and this question can change your life if you will constantly ask him. It's not a question that Abraham asked himself or asked God in his two situations. That question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? This question will help you make healthy, long-term decisions instead of these degrading, repetitive, short-term decisions. What is the wise thing to do here in this situation? And by asking God this question and following his answer to it, you are giving control of your life over to Jesus instead of taking the reins yourself and messing it up all over again. Let me close with this. Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we know that in all things God works. This is Paul talking to the Roman church. He said, and, he, and, he's, and he's talking to them because they got all kinds of things going on. And, and, and it's, this is an amazing verse because if you don't allow God to use all things, especially the bad things, then those things will come back to haunt you later on in life. But if you do, then all those things will come back in the future and benefit you and probably benefit someone else and definitely benefit the kingdom of God. And he says, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, God can work through and redeem and bring value through anything you have done in your life. Anything. But you have to invite him to do so. If you, don't, if you do allow him to do that, he can repurpose anything. Anything in your life. If you don't, you'll waste your time. The next time can be better than the last time because you plan for it to be and because you seek God for it to be. Notice the last part of this verse. It is for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. That is those who follow Christ. It's not those who, who say, yeah, I believe there's a God and then run off and do their own thing. It is for those who follow Jesus. You have been called according to his purpose. Live according to that purpose. And go to him, say, God, I'm in this situation. What's the right thing to do? What's the wise thing to do here? Because I need your help. And when you do that, he rushes in, and he says, I've got you. And he'll let you know. But if you turn your back and you don't follow his purpose, then you'll waste your time. Next time can be better than the last time because you plan for it to be and because you seek God for it to be. Let me pray. Father.
Thank you for your word and thank you for godly men and women who um, you give these ideas to and these thoughts to and how you speak to them through your word. I pray that you will uh, take us as we have heard it now and that you'll change our hearts. Each one of us, God, we have these situations in our lives. They're all different. We know that. But you're the God who who sees all things, knows all things, we ask that you will take these things that we repeat and change our hearts and change these situations so that we can have the next time be better than the last time. We ask for you, Holy Spirit, to work in us, convict us, encourage us, help us to follow your plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.